Things that are meant to be together don't do nearly as well when they're apart. You could have the finest automobile there is uh, with the best engine, but you take that engine out of the automobile and just lay it on your driveway, and the engine isn't going anywhere. And actually, your car is not going anywhere either. The human heart is a fantastic, magnificent piece of God's engineering and design. Uh, think of, usually it goes for decades upon decades without us having to do anything. I know there's sometimes there's procedures, but for the most part, it just keeps on beating away. Uh, but the human heart, again, if you remove that and uh, take it separately, it is not very useful at all. And it's not going to last long. It can't accomplish much. You can't send it out to get pizza. It's not going to be doing much of anything. It's meant to be connected. So again, things that are meant to be together don't do nearly as well as when they are apart. And the same is true for believers. And as we're in this series thinking about what it means to be a, a healthy church, and we want to be aiming for that, I'm thankful for signs of health that I do see, and we always want to keep our focus on that and keep improving on that. Uh, today we're talking about caring relationships in the body of Christ. Uh, the church is called the body of Christ for a reason, a body. There's more than one part and it's put together and needs to function together and not be separated. And we are, con we are to be connected with each other and to love and care for each other. So if we want to think of a, a, a summary point for this message and uh, an item of health for the church that we're aiming towards, uh, we could say it like this. That we could say that a healthy church is made up of members who love and care for each other as they would themselves because we're part of the same body. And when one part of the body hurts, you hurt. And we don't just say, well, that's just this other part of me. We are a body together. And we, we're going to see that we are called by the Lord to love each other, to care for each other. And that's not just emotions. Uh, that is things we need to do in practice. And we need to be actually connected with each other in order to do these things. That if we were all just at our homes, uh, on our computer watching this, uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to do the same things that we could do as we gather together in person. If you are watching this at home, I'm glad that you're at least watching it. And I hope that uh, soon you're able to join with us or another church in person as well. So the first point I want to make as we think through this is that the Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. Christian life, it's not meant to be lived on your own, solo. Just, just you and the Lord in isolation. And a passage that teaches this really clearly is from uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, 24 through 25. Let me read this. And it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All the more as we see the, uh, the day drawing near of the Lord's return. Um, could, be in, could be close. So how much more should we be gathering together to encourage one another to live the Christian life that we're supposed to live and to uh, function together the way that we ought to? 
So we look at this, and we see just one thing really clear is we are to gather together. It is telling us that Christians are supposed to meet together, to have times where we get together like we do here. And we can tell from this, uh, the author to the Hebrews says uh, not to stop doing that. He says, as is the habit of some. So this tells us that even back in in those days, uh, there were some people that that was their habit of, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I have my relationship with God, or whatever the reason was, whatever the excuse, where they figure, well, we don't actually need to, to get together for worship, for encouragement, and all these things that we need to do. That some people were already doing that. We also see that today. Uh, there's um, millions of uh, people in America that claim to be uh, Christians uh, that believe that you can just have a solo relationship with the Lord. Or you can just, uh, you know, watch a live stream or watch recordings, watch preaching, and that's, that's good enough because we've been conditioned to think, I think especially as Americans, you know, we're very individualistic, that as long as me and God are okay, that's, that's all that needs to be. And if that's the case, then well, I guess maybe you could let yourself think that, hey, I could stay at home and just, um, you, know, you know, watch uh, some preaching because uh, there's, especially this day and age, um, you can find uh, just incredible preaching and just, you know, uh, hours, you know, just all kinds of people, podcasts, videos, uh, people that are a lot better than me that you could be listening to. But we're called to, to meet together. And we're going to see that the purpose of coming together is not just to, to get an information dump or to get a motivational talk. Uh, there is purposes, uh, but there's more than this. I think we notice too, I just want to point this out, that this is a command. This is something, the Word of God says this. If you can look at this and say, well, that's just a suggestion, and maybe for me it's okay, well, I don't see that. You know, and maybe there's times where uh, people are sick or something, but uh, this is something that we are being told to do. And not to miss this with flimsy excuses or with um, our own doing things that are keeping us uh, from church for, for long periods of time. There's something different when we gather together to worship. There just is. There's something different. I think, and when we had that period uh, when COVID uh, happened and we couldn't worship together uh, for a while because, and there were other churches that, you know, took much longer where they were uh, you know, apart, and we didn't, you know, we're trying to be cooperative, and well, I won't get into all that. Uh, but after a while, we decided, no, we're, we, this has been long enough, we're going to meet together again, and if you were here for that first Sunday when we were back, it was one of the happiest Sundays there is, uh, because it just made us realize that uh, being apart from each other was not good. We are not to meant to be spread out, we are not meant to be alone. And just, you know, watching a, a live stream week after week is not a substitute for actually gathering together and, and seeing your brothers and sisters in Christ and be able to talk to them and encourage them. And it was such an encouragement. There's something different about being together. And sometimes I, it, we realize this in other factors, too, that there's something um, you know, different about being at an event, uh, than just kind of watching it on TV. Um, and sometimes it's, it's very special when you're together with a lot of people. 
Um, many of you know I was born in Wisconsin. And when you're born in Wisconsin, they inject cheese into your blood when you're born. <laughs> and they uh, put a little chip in your head that makes you uh, just be a lifetime Packer fan. Um, I haven't been talking about it too much lately because uh, of my humility, uh, or humiliation. Uh, <laughs> but I went to one uh, Packer game in Lambeau Field in my life. Okay, and it was in December of 1993. And I looked it up. It was the Packers versus the, the Raiders, the LA Raiders back at the time. And at the time, it was the second coldest uh, Packer game on record after the Ice Bowl. Uh, <laughs> I looked it up uh, just to see where it is right now. It's still somewhere in the, listed in the top um, uh, eight coldest NFL games ever. Uh, and I think it's not even the eighth, I don't remember which one it was, but it was uh, zero degrees at kickoff, uh, wind chill I believe it was 20 below, and it, <laughs> I went there, I had a snowmobile suit on, uh, multiple jackets, you know, sweaters, all these things, a big thermos of hot chocolate. If you looked out on the stadium, you would have thought that uh, the Packers colors were, were camo and hunter, <laughs> and hunter orange, because that's what everyone was wearing. Uh, except for there were a few guys, uh, a few rows ahead of us, you know, they had their shirts off for the whole game. They're still doing that and enjoying themselves and uh, probably not as much once the alcohol wore off later on, I don't think. But it was fantastic. It was such a good experience. I got to go with um, uh, my best friend from high school and his dad. Uh, they had an extra ticket. They took me to this. and It was, it was a great time. Uh, even though it was cold, it, it made it even more fun. Uh, and there is you know, something that is just different about being there in person and being together rather than just you know, watching it on TV. And the Packers did win. Uh, but it was a fantastic thing. A, there's a camaraderie, even a bond with other people are there. But you know, if this is how you do church, we're still doing it wrong. Because it's not just about we come together to have this big uh, corporate, you know, just experience together like going to a concert, okay? And so if you view going to church like uh, going to a Taylor Swift concert, okay, and oh, it's emotional and there's all this and all, uh, like some of these people are, uh, we're still doing it wrong. It's not just going to an event. And you know what? Afterwards, the people at that game, Okay, okay, shared experience, a big exciting thing all together. None of them called me up later on to see how I was doing. None of them, you know, called me later to ask, you know, how can I, how can I pray for you? None of them were there to, you know, help me in my, my deepest needs, uh, to encourage me, uh, to be a better a Christian, to be a, the man that God created me to be. You know, we went to something together and then we went our ways. And so if we view church like we're going together to, it's more fun to go to the movies than it is to sit at home. And you have this big experience and it's, it's great because everyone, you know, they gasp together and they laugh together. Uh, but you don't build relationships with people at the movie theater. You go and you have that and then you go home. You don't build relationships with people at the, the, the football game. You, you go there, you have that and you go home. And so it's not just a matter of saying that, uh, yeah, it's, more powerful when we worship together. It is. And we hear each other and we're singing to the Lord and we're also encouraging each other in song. 
it is also true, I think, that there is uh, something unique and different about sitting under the Word of God together like this. But if that's all it is, it's still not enough. Well, actually, you know, there were two people from that Packer game that did call me to see what I was doing, uh, that did um, and have and do pray for me, and that have been there for me in my darkest times. And that was my friend and his dad. And that kind of proves my point. We went to church together. And uh, his dad is a, was an elder at, at our church and a youth group leader and a you know, mentor. And we've been there for each other this whole time and we still stay in touch. And so it's not, again, it's not just about being in this shared experience, but it's being in a shared life together so that we can help each other in the Christian life. That's what it says to gather together, but then it also tells us why we are to gather together. It says to spur one another on to love and to good deeds. That we are called, uh, some translations say to stir up, uh, some say to spur. The word really means to provoke. We're trying to uh, cause the other person to uh, move out of their comfort zone, to do what they need to do, to, to show love, to live the Christian life the way that we ought to. We get so comfortable and we just want to do our own thing. And this is, this is a loving provoking. We're pushing each other. We're uh, encouraging each other to, to, to do what we need to do, to live a better life. And that just doesn't happen if your view of church is like going to the movies or going to a show. You have to have that connection with each other because it's not just so that the pastor can encourage you to do this, but that we, it says encouraging one another, stirring up one another, spurring on one another to love and good deeds because we're supposed to have life change that comes from this. And yep, the preaching of the word of God is one thing, but also the impact that we are having on each other is also what causes us to live different lives. I love that it says, um, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. To be thinking about this. It's not just doing it, but are we thinking about how can I encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ here uh, to take that next step, to do that thing that they need to do or to battle against the thing that they shouldn't be doing? Uh, to get more involved, to come out of their comfort zone, to get involved in ministry, to, uh, to be used by God, whatever it is. To think how can you be used as God's instrument in the lives of other people, those that are around you. We're being called to do that. But this means that we have to get rid of this idea that, hey, my life is private, you stay out of my tent, and it's just me and I'm going to wall everybody off. No, this is saying we're supposed to be connected to each other so that we can do this. And it says we're to encourage one another. Now, sometimes we think of encouragement just means, you know, hey, you go, there you go. Uh, just some little happy, you know, talk. Uh, you got this. And maybe sometimes encouragement can be that. But encouragement is so much more than this. The word for encouragement here. Uh, can mean comfort, warning, strengthening. It actually comes from the same Greek word uh, that the word paraclete is from. Now, paraclete means one called alongside. Now, this is really important because Jesus said, 
I am going to, when I leave, I'm going to send you another paraclete, another comforter. And again, it's not just to make you comfortable, but he was sending the Holy Spirit to come alongside us and to help us to live the Christian life. And it was another comforter, another helper, however you translate it, because Jesus also is one of these. And we're being called now to do the same thing. So yeah, it's the Holy Spirit working in our lives, but we are also called to be instruments of the Holy Spirit in the lives of each other. And encouragement, again, doesn't just mean to, to, to comfort. Sometimes it's translated like that. It doesn't just mean to soothe you, you know, put you on a nice little pillow. Maybe there's times where that type of comfort is needed, but sometimes it means uh, to, to give strength, uh, to comfort in the sense of to, uh, to pump strength into somebody to do what they need to do, something that they, they know they need to do, but they need the encouragement to do it. And we're called to be doing this for each other. So the Christian life not meant to be lived in isolation. And as we look at these other points coming up, we're going to see that it would be impossible to live out uh, the commands that we're going to see next in isolation from each other. It just wouldn't work. So even if Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, if that was removed from the Bible, we would still realize we got to be getting together. We have to be in each other's lives. So the second point is that we are called to love each other. This is not a minor command in Scripture. This is not just this subtle thing that's, oh, I guess it's in there if you look really hard. You would have to work really hard to miss this as a command from the Lord. It is there a lot. In your bulletin, if, you're, if you have the outline, on the back of that, I have a collection of verses. And I hope you take time to meditate these, through these. If you look through that, you will notice uh, the word love showing up many, many, many times in many places uh, from the lips of Jesus, the New Testament authors, others, it is there a lot, saying to love one another. It is not just a vague hint. I want to give you quick reasons from Scripture why we are supposed to love one another. And first, it is a command from Jesus. It is commanded to us uh, from the lips of our Lord, other places in Scripture too, but Jesus told his disciples this in many places very clearly. One of those places is John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Don't let that slip away. We're to love one another just as he has loved us first. As he has loved us, you are also, you also are to love one another. He said it again. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And this isn't the only time that Jesus says it. If you keep even reading in the Gospel of John, John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. So it's a command from Jesus. Again, not an optional thing, not a suggestion like it'd be nice if you loved each other, but you know, I'm okay either way. Jesus is saying, no, you have to. I'm telling you, you are disobeying me if you don't do this. This is so important. This is a command I'm giving to you. It's a good command. It's for your good. You need to love one another. Also, in this John 13, we see that 
love for one another is how the watching world will see that you are a follower of Jesus. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, my followers. You're becoming like me if you have love for one another. Conversely, that means if we're not doing that, the world is going to have a tough time seeing that we're followers of Jesus. If you have Christians, and this is talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're forgiven by the Lord, we have the Lord, we say, as our center, he's the head of our church, it's all about him, and we're not loving one another, uh, that makes us look like not Christians, like not followers of Jesus. So it is important for our witness, for the reputation of Jesus also, that we are loving one another. Love is also evidence of being born again, of having a new heart that has been born again by the Lord, evidence that you're genuinely saved, you're regenerate. And in 1 John 4, 7, it references that beloved let us love one another for love is from god and whoever loves has been born of god and knows god so again it's showing this connection between loving one another and having received a a new heart from the lord being born of god being born again loving one another is not a cause of being born again it's not a cause of salvation but it is a fruit it is a result of being born again. That if you are genuinely saved, you have a born-again heart, you've received a heart transplant from the Lord, and this heart is a heart that is growing in love for each other. Not perfect, be great if it was, but growing in genuine love uh, for the Lord and for the Lord's people. This verse also says that uh, love is from God. Another place in 1 John, it says that God is love. Um, He's our example from this. And this means that we're also called to love each other because God is love and discipleship is growing in likeness to him. So if love is, starts with God, comes from God, he's the definition of that's who he is and growing as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus means becoming more like him, then yeah, it means that we are growing in love for each other. That Jesus loved each of you enough to die on the cross for you. He died for your salvation, he died for sinners, he died specifically for the church. And if he loved each of us that much, we need to love what he loves. So we need to especially be loving each other. There's a love that we have for the world. There's especially a family love that we have for each other in Christ. And so we are called to love each other, again, because God loved you first. 1 John 4, I'll read a little bit more than it's going to be on the screen here. I'll start with verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. This is saying that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus Christ, the Son of God, into this world, that the second person in the Trinity became the God-man so that he could die for sinners. That while we were yet uh, 
sinners, he died for us. While we're still unrighteous, knowing how much of a sinner you are or I am, he still loved you enough to die for you. Because that's the only way, the only possibility of you being saved. Is Jesus going to the cross for you, living a perfect life for you as a substitute, dying for you, and giving you this offer that if you turn to him, respond to him in repentant faith, then he takes your sin and gives you his gift of righteousness, the gift of uh, free salvation that he offers to you, free to us, very costly to him. That's how much he loves you. I, I pray that you've accepted that. And those of you that are still on your way, I pray that you understand how much God loves you and that you will receive Jesus as Savior. Then it says in verse 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, we didn't do it first, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I'll give you one last reason. Because we are family in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.9, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. There's so many places in Scripture where it talks about uh, Christians as, as brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ. That when you're saved, you are incorporated into this new family, this spiritual family. Uh, that we weren't a part of. You were part of uh, the devil's family before. He was our father, but then you're adopted into his family. With Jesus as our elder brother, God the Father as your, your, your ultimate father, and your spiritual father, and with every other Christian as your brother or sister in Christ. And so we need to view it as that is the new relationship that we have with each other. And therefore, what does this mean? And that's why we should not have the attitude of just, well, what's in it for me? If I come to church or if I come to a Bible study or some other, just what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? Because that's not how you think when you're part of a family. You don't just think about you. You think, how can I be growing, but how can I also help those that are around me? How do you help your brothers and sisters? How do you, for parents, you, you think of your kids. You don't just think, uh, well, what's in it for me? And I don't know about the, these we have a different attitude. We need to not have this attitude like, well, these other people are slowing me down and just what's in it for me? You know, it's, it, this isn't like in school. You ever have those like group projects? And I always hated those type of things. And maybe sometimes, you know, you might like them because it's like you can let other people do the work. Uh, but maybe you hated those because you're like, I'm stuck doing all the work and some people are going to slack off and this is like communism and why do we have to do it like this? Other people are just dragging us down. But if you're part of a family, you don't think that way about your family. You don't think, oh, this two-year-old's really slowing me down. Ah, you love them, they're part of the family. We treat each other differently. So we need to, to love each other. And third point, we're called to care for each other, which in a way is what it means to love each other. Because when we talk about the love we're supposed to have, we're not just talking about an emotion. When the world thinks about love, it thinks of it as just primarily emotion, having warm feelings for one another. And that's not what we're saying here. It's not just about 
having warm feelings for each other. And if, only, if I can just have warm feelings towards you and you, you can just have warm feelings for each other, we've done our duty and that's all it is. Now, the world has lots of strange views about what love is. Uh, a lot of times they think love is just this, uh, they say love is love and you realize it really isn't. Uh, not all love is the same. There is, you know, uh, sexual marriage types of love and there's family love and there's different love. But when it talks about love here, uh, this is talking about not just a feeling. I mean, there, sh- there should be feelings too, but it's, it's to love it. This is a verb. This is to be doing loving things. And it means caring things. Uh, not just, you know, tokens of our love for each other. It doesn't mean we're just giving flowers out left and right. Okay, maybe sometimes that might be something you, we do. Uh, but there's definitely, there's other things that we do that are part of caring. If you're taking care of your, your, your baby, you know, changing their diaper is an act of love. Uh, it may not be this romantic thing, but it's showing care, and you do it because you love that child. And there's things that we do for each other. Sometimes it's pleasant, sometimes it's unpleasant, sometimes it's tough love that we need to do as we're caring for each other. It's genuinely caring about their well-being, and it's something that we do. And we care about each other as we would for ourselves because we're all part of one body together. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says this, verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members, okay, the parts of the body, may have the same care for one another. Okay, so we're supposed to care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together because you're part of the same body. You know, if you win an award, you don't have, you know, one part of your body that's, you know, grumbling and like, oh, just, uh, I, I, you know, I didn't win that award because it, it was a race and I'm just a hand. Uh, you as a whole thing are happy. You know, if you get hurt, you're just not, you can't separate different parts of you and say, well, I'm, I'm fine, you know, because it's just my leg that's broken. No, you as a whole are hurt. In the same way, that's the attitude we're supposed to have for each other. And when one is hurting, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. Instead of being, you know, bitter that, oh, that person, you know, got ahead and I deserve that instead. You know, that's having a divided attitude. We're not called to have that. And we recognize, too, if you look at the rest of this passage, that there's different parts of the body. We need each other. We're not all the same. We have different ways that we contribute, different specialities that we have your eyes, your ears, your, uh, all these different parts have different things and we all need each other as well too. We need to live out the one another's that are in scripture. I mentioned there's a scripture collection that I put together on the back of your, uh, your outline. And sometime, I mean, I guess if you want to do this now, you could, but uh, sometime I would like you to take some time and go through that and maybe circle every time that you see the phrase one another. You're going to see that a lot. And this isn't even every time in Scripture. There's more than are, that are here. Uh, circle when you see one another and then underline what it is you're supposed to do for one another. And realize that is a calling. It's not just saying, pastor, do this for your people. Or you do for one, we're all supposed to be doing this for one another, different people that we're connected with in the, within the body of Christ. I'll give you some of these. Uh, 
It says, first, we've seen to love one another. If you do the assignment I've asked you to do thinking about this, you're going to see that many times. Uh, That's a lot, to love one another. It also says to outdo one another in showing honor, to care for one another, to comfort one another, to agree with one another, to serve one another, bearing with one another in love. That means there's times where we get on each other's nerves. There's times where it's tough, but you know what? You bear with each other because we love each other and we're part of a family. And just because someone irritates you a little bit or maybe did something that you could take offense at, when you're in a family, you, you suck it up. And sometimes we let it go or we work through it. We bear with one another. Love for one another many times. First Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another. Build one another up to help each other to grow in Christ. Exhort one another every day. That's Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're supposed to keep each other from getting hardened by sin. And how good is that to have people in your life that would care about you enough that if they start to see you being enamored by sin, being taken in by it, that they're willing to step into your life and to intervene somehow to try and draw you out of that. Do you have people in your life that love you enough to do that, even though you may not want it at the time, because sin makes us crazy and makes us snap at people, but they must really love you in order to be willing to do that, even though you might snap at them. Are you willing to be that type of person in somebody else's life? We're called to do that, to exhort one another, means calling each other to, to not be taken in by sin, to not be given over to it. That's not being judgy. That's trying to rescue each other from self-destruction. We've read in Hebrews 10, stir one another up to love and good works, to meet together. James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another. That doesn't mean everything to everyone, but things that we can talk about, some things you're struggling with, things you need help with. It says, and pray for one another. We need to be praying for each other. It's not just because this is, we put in a good word with the guy upstairs so that we get what we want, but part of it is, this is a way that we bear each other's burdens, is by taking them to the Lord in prayer, asking for help, caring about each other enough to, to pray for each other. First Peter 4, 8-10, through 10, show hospitality to one another. It means opening up your home, opening up your resources, opening up your life. Serve one another and then love one another again many times. Notice that you can't do these one another's in isolation from each other. So again, even if we didn't have Hebrews telling us to gather together and don't stop gathering together, even if you just thought about all the one another's, you would need to be connected to each other in order to do this. And again, not just with a going to the movies mentality. Because if you just come into church to to clock in, slide in, slide out, and never actually make connection with anyone, you're still not fulfilling these one and others that we're called to do. And that means there's more to being together 
than just coming and sitting in on, on the, the message from the pastor and singing some songs together. It is connection with each other, knowing each other. And sometimes, uh, on, a, on a, any given Sunday, the time before the service, maybe in between, the time after the service that you spend connecting with people, talking with them, is going to be as much, if not even more, beneficial and important than what happens here. Now, this is still important, okay? And I'm not saying blow this off and just uh, hang out in the, the, the foyer, okay? Because it's not just about that. There's a time and place for everything, okay? So unless you have a crying baby or something, uh, you know, please be in here. Uh, but there's plenty of time before and after and other times that you connect with people so that we can do these type of things. It's not going to work if we're just sneaking in and out. We're called to give and to receive, so I want to ask you as you're thinking about applications for this, I like thinking of it this way. How big is your circle? And what I mean by that is like your circle of self-interest. Because we tend to be selfish people by heart. And that's why we have to be told by the Lord to consider each other as more important than ourselves, to make their concerns our concerns. And most people, when I think, what I mean is, imagine you have a little tight circle around you and you care about what's inside the circle Okay, you're concerned about that, and what's outside of the circle, you don't care about that. Somebody else's business. And therefore, how big is your circle? To a lot of people, it's not even anybody else. It's just them. And everyone, deep down, they care about themselves. Uh, but some people say, well, my circle's a little bit bigger. You know, I'll fit my family into it. So I want what's good for my family, uh, but everyone else, pff. Now, some say, well, okay, I got some close friends. But... The Lord isn't wanting us to have these small circles. He, as we grow in love, we're expanding our circles so that we're caring about more and more people and making their concerns our concerns. And so if we really recognize that our people in your church are your brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're supposed to do good for all, but the Bible says even, especially to those in the household of faith, you have a special concern. Like you have a special concern for your, your biological family that is distinct from your concern from your neighbors. And that's okay, okay? But the more we realize that your whole church is your family, the more hopefully we're enlarging our circle to care about other people, not just your, your close, close friends and those that you already know, and trying to pull other people into and showing genuine concern about them. You need others and others need you too. One another goes both ways, right? So that means that there's things that you need to do for other people, and you need them to do it for you. Be glad when they do, even if it's tough love. It goes both ways. This also means, I think, when you think about this, you can have a different attitude for, let's say, going to um, a, a church program or a Bible study or an event or gathering together with other people. Because if you're just thinking about what is in it for me, like, is this going to help me? Is this something I need? Uh, then you might say, well, I don't really need to go to this. What's the point of this? But if you think, wait, maybe my point, part of why God wants me to go to this is that I can be an encouragement to other people. That by being there, uh, I can help other people in the small group, in the, the Sunday school class, in the, the, the Bible study, whatever it is, that the event that you're also there so that you can encourage other people that 
in the discussion. They can hear things that you have to say, that you can find out more about them so you can be praying for them, helping them, giving tangible help when it's needed. It's going to change how you view sermons. It really will. Because if you're just thinking, well, in this passage, you know, is this something I need to hear or this isn't something I need to hear? Uh, well, first of all, when, if it's from the Bible, we all need to hear it. And even if you didn't think that you need it right now today, you might need it for the future. And you might need to store this up for when it really is important. But if it's not just about you, but it's about other people, maybe God is teaching you something so that you are equipped to help somebody else. Maybe you don't struggle with this issue. Maybe it's not a problem for you. But if God is trying to make you into a better tool to help other people, maybe that's what that's there for. And that's going to help you to come into every sermon, every Bible study you have with a different mindset. You're being equipped also to help other people, not just what's in it for me. Let's take initiative to know and care for others. Don't wait for other people to start. Uh, look for people that you can serve and care for. Notice people. Uh, I think a lot of times people think, well, I, I'm friends with everyone. And they think that they don't even notice like the people that they're not friends with. Sometimes I hear about people that, you know, they've been going to church forever and they sit a few pews away from each other and they've never really gotten to know each other. Um, you know, I'm thankful that uh, I think in the past many years, I've really seen this church grow in, in friendliness and in connecting with each other. But we always need to make sure we're being proactive in doing that. Otherwise, it's going to be easy to slip into something else. Sometimes it's easy to uh, think that, oh yeah, I'm a friendly person because I, always, I go to church, I talk to my friends. And sometimes we can think, well, we're being friendly, but it's like, uh, well, what about the other people, the new people, or the people that haven't broken in? Sometimes it can feel like you're at your house and you're having a great meal around the table and everyone's laughing and enjoying this. And there's somebody outside in the deck by the slider on the glass just kind of looking and, oh, I wish I could be a part of this. And we need to realize that just because you have friends doesn't mean that there's other people that are feeling the same way. There's still people that you need to reach out to. A practical thing you can do after a service. Usually we're tempted to like find our friends and talk to them. What if you made it a goal to find somebody that you don't know yet and to talk to them for a little bit before you talk to the people you already know? That can be a great way to push yourself to, to meet and welcome more people. You know, we do things, a lot of things in this church to encourage relationships, take advantage of those Sunday school, coffee time before the service, get here early, stay after Wednesdays, small groups, events, serving together. You know, some people have asked about like the fellowship groups. We used to have those. We're doing small groups now, so we don't have them as often. And uh, it'd be a lot to do with small groups. I hope you can be in a small group sometime, if not now, later on. But here's the thing. You want to have a fellowship dinner, we're not stopping you. Guess what? You can do that whenever you want. Okay? I mean, don't do it like if we're having a PM service or something that night. You can fit it in during the afternoon, but... You could, and some of you do. I know there's some of you that are good at inviting people over to your house and using the gift of hospitality. There's nothing that's stopping you. It doesn't have to be all organized by us. You can, you can handpick strategically who you want to invite over and connect with each other. It can be a great thing to do. 
I do want to say, you know, some people are more extroverted, some are more introverted. And if you're an introvert, whether you've been here for a long time, you're going to need to push yourself a little bit more with this. And I would encourage you, um, you know, take steps. Try not to send out signals that tell people to stay away. Because sometimes we can um, send signals that make it seem like I want to keep people at a distance. And then sometimes people assume that uh, too much. Um, now, if somebody has sent that, you know, they're a signal like that, it's early on, uh, maybe that's just they're uncomfortable. Maybe you need to do more. If you've been here for a while, you're more comfortable than they are. So be willing to take uh, those extra steps. Let me finish by saying this. A healthy church is less like a wheel and more like a web. Explain what I mean. Sometimes we can think, well, caring for people in the church, that's the pastor's job. And if we think of it, pastor's like the dot in the center, and it's his job as a shepherd to care for each person in the church. And so it's kind of like a wheel. Pastor's at the center, and in a healthy church, he's going to have solid, caring relationships with every member of the church. And that's how it works. Now, if you think about it, there's many problems with this. Because even if this was possible, okay, even if I um, somehow was able to double the amount of hours in a day and the amount of days in a week, even if I decided to start, you know, just purchasing my sermons online so I don't have to spend any time working on those, or, uh, and I could just devote myself just to doing care things, uh, there are hundreds of people that are part of this church. It's just not going to happen. And even if we, well, and also, too, I mean, this could be, if I did this, I could feel like, wow, I'm the most important person in the church here. I have some real job security because what if I go away? Everything's going to fall apart. But then that is a problem. What if I get hit by a bus? Is this how it's supposed to be? And there's Pastor Zach. You could add him in there. You could add the deacons. They're, you know, they care for members in the church and have care groups. But you've got to be realistic. Our deacons, they all have jobs. They all have families, and they have limited time and energy as well. Uh, so it's just not going to work like this. But what if we thought of it that caring for each other is the job of all of us, that we're all supposed to be connected? And nobody's going to be connected to everyone. We get that. But if we view this in a different way, okay, I'm part of it there too, but we have all members of the church, and everyone is connected to different people. And you have this whole kind of web that happens. And therefore, even if there's a failure here or somebody leaves here, there's, there's still enough connection that is together. It means you're not going to, um, you know, have to leave the church. One person leaves because all your relationships are gone because you have this whole web. You have people helping each other. And as I look out, I see this happening. People have trouble. I see they're already connected with other people that are reaching in. And I see there, there's things that are, I'm called to do that, Pastor Zach and the deacons are called to do, but a big part of what we're called to do is to help foster this so that every member of this church, every person is connected with each other and doing the one another's for each other. And that is going to make a much healthier church than just one person doing it all, which is impossible. A healthy church is made up of members who love and care for each other as they would themselves. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being part of the body of Christ. And Lord, help us to do that and be that better. May we gather together for the purpose 
of not just worshiping you and learning from you, but that we can care for each other and love each other and fulfill the one another's that you call us to do. Thank you for the privilege of being in the body of Christ, paid for by the blood of your Son, who is the head of our church. To him be all glory. Amen.